It's been such a good series. We started the series, Anchors for Our Soul, because we felt like the Lord whispered to us in the elders' meeting that he wanted to comfort and encourage his people and give them anchors to hold on to in the, in the tumultuous times. And so we began planning this, and I think it's been a really sweet series. I particularly have been blessed by the, by the series, and I think both Tom and Ty in the last two weeks brought some words that I think were really well done. So thank you to you guys. Well done. And I think it's been, yeah, amen. Very cool. Been a, it's been a very sweet series, and I think that um, that's been, that's been very precious to me. Today, I want to talk about revelation, and the, specifically the revelation the Lord whispers into your heart, the, the, the moments where God whispers His heart uh, towards you, and that you, you hear something. And uh, so I want to talk about that as an anchor. I don't know what it's like in your life, but there are some people who are in my head. Like, um, I hear my father's voice, my father was the greatest encourager of my life. And he would say, you can do this. Yeah, you can do this. And, and it's, it's formed a lot of the way I, I act. So whenever I hit a new situation, and I've never done it before, I go, my father's voice, is somehow it got on the inside of me. And I'm going, yeah, I could do this. And many times people say, have you ever done that before? I go, no, but how hard could it be? Well, it's pretty hard. I go, no, I could do this. My dad's voice is in my ear. When I see a woman carrying something heavy, my mother's voice is in my ear. Don't let that happen in your presence. It's like, help that lady. My mother's passed away already, but her voice is still in my ear. Whenever I'm tempted to be ungracious, my wife's voice is in my ear. Yeah. Whose voice is in your head? If that voice is a good voice, that's a, that's a good thing. If that voice is negative, that's a bad thing. When I was preparing for the sermon, I had this picture in my mind, and I want to just tell you about it, because it, it's an analogy that I think it's a parable that, that, that relates to this message. I saw in my mind's eye this great wedding in a massive cathedral, and I heard the organ, you know, like, swell and it was like here comes the bride and, and it, the, it swelled and the big oak doors opened and, and then there's the bride and her father and they, be, and they begin the slow march down the aisle and I was like oh this is so cool and, but then I, I began to realize that the room is filled with tension and harsh and critical looks and there's people hiding smirks and looking down their, their chins at her and, and she's not very celebrated in the room and she becomes aware of this animosity in the room. And as she passes the first row, there are people that are hostile to her that whisper just loud enough for her to hear their dislike and their disapproval. And this deceptive little vixen, she deceived him into this. How long before he sees her for what she really is? There's another voice, I give them six months tops. Another person whispers, what a mismatch. Look at those skinny arms. She's probably starved herself to trap him. And as she, she starts, oh, she's a lazy, horrible woman. And look at that dress. There's no class and no style. It's exactly what we expected from her. That lying thief, said an old girlfriend. What does he see in her? He obviously hasn't heard the stories about her. Because she walks, what a fake smile. And she's walking through this barrage of animosity. 
She doesn't have what it takes. She'll never keep up with him. How could he stoop so low? And as she gets closer to the family, she thinks it's gonna be better, but the family are saying, look at him. I can't believe he'd marry so far beneath him. I've spoken to him time and again, but he just won't listen. She's after his money, gold digger. Unsophisticated, uncultured. And with all that press and all that opinion against her, the thing that keeps her going is the man standing in the front and his smile and her memory of what he has whispered to her in secret moments when she has brought him all of these accusations because she's heard from people and they've said, who do you think you are? And she's gone and said, don't you think I'm so far beneath you? And he laughed out loud and held her close and spoke to her about how much he loved her. And it's those moments, what he said in the secret place that keeps her moving forward against the barrage of all the other accusations and animosity. Those moments of togetherness, when he held her and looked her in the eye and shared his heart with her, he said, stop listening to my cousins. They're foolish people. They said, what? That's ridiculous. But your mom, listen, my mom is, no one's gonna be good enough for my mom. Just forget that. She walks down the aisle because she's acting on who she knows he is and what she knows to be true. She's stepping out. She's stepping forward into what he has said so she can push past the smallness and the envy and the condemnation and the disapproval, past their selfishness, their pride. She isn't daunted by all of those whispers because she's heard of his love. And he has said to her, my love for you is unwavering. It's deep felt and sacrificial. I will not give you up. I will not let you down. I will always be faithful to you, even to death. Because he has already dealt with the family. He's already dealt with the inheritance. He's already signed it all away. He's already made the sacrifice that's necessary because he made a choice. I will give up everything and everyone else in order that I might marry you. And that is fixed. He doesn't feel like he's lost anything. He's thrilled with the exchange. He's already made the decision and he waits for her now. He is eager. He has great joy. This is the one he gave up everything for. Today is their day. Now in life, there are gonna be enough voices screaming negativity and condemnation and mistrust and envy at you. What will keep you moving forward in the kingdom? When you want to walk godly in Christ, you will hear those voices. Who do you think you are? You're not good enough. Your background's not sharp enough. You're not enough. You can't pull this off. He's gonna realize who you are. There are voices of condemnation and disgust that, that will, if you will pay attention to them, they will constantly be screaming in your ear. And the thing that pulls us through this life is not those voices, but the voice of Jesus and what he has said to me in the secret places. What God has said to you, the things that jumped out of his word, the moments of encounter in worship, the times when there's been prophetic, what, what God has spoken to you, the revelations of God to you become an anchor for your soul and they pull you through, they pull you past, they pull you above the pettiness of this world. And I want to talk today about that passion, 
about us learning to step in and say, Lord, could you speak to me? I really need to hear you. I am hungry for your revelation. So turn with me to Matthew 16. Because Jesus uh, basically positioned in Matthew 16, he said there's going to be an anchor that even the gates of hell won't be able to prevail against. So let's, Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, which is a city which is called Panea previously, before Philip made it his headquarters. It was the, the headquarters of the god Pan, which was a, which was a goat god. And um, a, lot of, a lot of temples were built there. There was a massive mountain, kind of like Stone Mountain uh, here. There was a massive granite mountain there. And out of the bottom of the mountain, there came a river and it used to flow, but it, and a lot of gas, not, you know, bad gases would come out and a lot of horrible sounds. It sounded like somebody was screeching down there. People called it the gates of hell. And so Jesus takes his disciple to the gates of hell where all these other gods are worshipped. And he says this, he goes, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said? Who do you say I am? <clears throat> and Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. When last did Jesus ask you a question that required you to give a confession of faith? I suspect that almost all the questions Jesus asked have part of that as their motive. He wants, he's wanting to draw faith out of us. He's wanting us to, to go, no, this is who you are. But Jesus asked his disciples in that place, basically, who do, you, who do people say I am? Basically, what are the general views about me, the Son of Man? Now, the, the common people had been sort of hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. It was obvious, pretty obvious to everybody that he was somebody special. He was doing miracles. There were you know, blind eyes open and the lame were walking and lepers were being healed and miraculous food provisions. And it was spectacular to be around Jesus. And because John says there were so many miracles done by Jesus, you couldn't write them all down. There were thousands and thousands of people giving testimony about Jesus' miracles. I went there and he healed me. Look here, you know. So people were like, wow, this is somebody. And so they were kind of hoping he was the Messiah. But the Pharisees had done such a good job about Jesus and calling, you know, a whole bunch of stuff into question. They were like, well, Jesus is not schooled. He's not, he's not the good looking guy. He's, you know, his parents are not wealthy. He comes from Nazareth for goodness sake. You know, like, can anything good come out of there? And they were just like, you know, he, he's definitely not the Messiah. He breaks the Sabbath. The, he, you know, he, he touches prostitutes. He, he meets with tax collectors, for goodness sake. And Jesus hadn't been really up for the overthrow of the Roman domination. You know, every time they wanted him to make him king, Jesus slipped away in the crowd. And they were like, but the Messiah is supposed to come and slap the Romans. And this guy doesn't want to do that. And, you know, he's not the guy. Instead, he's touching lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors. He's hanging out with unclean people, unsavory characters, the, the them that, you know, our parents warned us about. So they go, well, he's probably not the Messiah because the Pharisees are absolutely convinced that he's not. So he's probably not the Messiah, but he's, he's somebody special. So they go, well, you know, he's probably one of the prophets come back. 
It's either John the Baptist or maybe he's Elijah because the, the whole thing about Elijah was Elijah's gonna come back before the Messiah. So maybe, maybe the Messiah's coming and Jesus is, is making the way for him. And then some of them say, maybe he's Jeremiah because they, Jeremiah had prophesied for many, many years about Israel's demise and Jeremiah had been trying to call Israel to repentance and they'd said, you, you smoking your socks, Jeremiah, you don't know what you're talking about. We're gonna be fine. And so, is that okay? So, so, he said, so Jeremiah said, no, 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 God's angry with us and he's gonna deal with us. And they go, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And so eventually, exactly as Jeremiah prophesied, Babylon comes in and destroys the city. So there was this big theory that because Jeremiah had known it was coming for so long that Jeremiah then used the opportunity to, uh, just before they broke in, Jeremiah stole the Ark of the Covenant and hid it in a secret place. And that when God was gonna restore Israel, that Jeremiah was gonna arrive and then show everybody, oh, this is where the Ark is, and then and that was gonna be it. So they were like, who do, who do people say I am? Well, the, the, the three like, top front runners, you're John the Baptist, come back to life. You're Elijah, you're Jeremiah. And Jesus says, okay, who do you say I am? And I think heaven paused. There was a little moment here of what is gonna go, go on? And Jesus is about to say that all of hell the gates of hell, the foundations of hell will not be able to stand against this confession. Something is about to happen here. An anchor for our souls is about to be de de described here that, that hell cannot overcome. There's an answer that's fueled by revelation that no power on heaven, earth, or hell can change. And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Jesus gets very, very excited about that answer. He goes, woo, Peter, you're a beaut. That wasn't shown you by men. You didn't get that from the Pharisees. You didn't talk to the other disciples. You got that from my father. Jesus gets really excited about the fact that Peter has listened to the father's revelation. Because Peter didn't just make that up. Peter wasn't just taking a stab in the dark. No, Peter was saying, no, no, I know who you are because twice before Peter had been in a moment where God had spoken with an audible voice and Peter had heard him and twice God had said, that's my son. And so when Jesus says, who do you say I am? He goes, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, well done, Peter. I like that. Let me show you. Matthew 3, Jesus is going to be baptized. It says, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Some people said it sounded like thunder, but the disciples heard the voice. Come with me to Matthew 17. Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he begins to shine in all his glory and Moses and Elijah appear with him. And then Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles, one for you and for Moses and for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. 
And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And Jesus is honestly excited about Peter's uh, response to his question. He's a moment of celebration. It's a moment of victory over hell because for three years, Jesus had been ministering and all his ministry had yielded with the crowd was mysticism and vague acclamations. But from the disciples, Jesus heard faith. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because this is the thing that was shown to you by my father. And Peter, you've listened to what the father's been telling you and you have now taken it to heart. And on that, on the basis of your faith in God's revelation to you, that's what I'm gonna build my kingdom on. This is foundational. This is the rock that Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church on. Right here is the secret source of the kingdom. This is our anchor that holds what you've heard from God, the revelation that you've received. And so the question I wanna ask you is, what have you heard from God? When Mike Tyson was gonna fight Evander Holyfield, they they were talking about this because Evander Holyfield was gonna be the guy who had this plan and Holyfield kept talking about his plan and how he's gonna, you know, he's he's got a plan to beat Tyson. And they asked Tyson about, aren't you scared of Holyfield's plan? And he said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) And there's an old military saying that no plan survives the first contact with the enemy. And I wanna ask us about this reality that our theology, you know, sometimes people build a theology which is fine, but can our theology survive a punch in the mouth? Can it survive beyond the first contact with the enemy? It's one thing to have a theology, it's another thing to go past and to face the animosity as you walk down the aisle and you hear the constant approbation, the constant, hey, I don't like you, I think you're wrong. What pushes us forward, what handles, what theology can keep us steady beyond the punch in the mouth and the contact with the enemy? It's not just, it's not just good theology, it's not just good doctrine that helps me move forward, what's kept me, the anchor for my soul has been what the Lord has whispered to me in the secret places. And sometimes I believe it with all my heart and sometimes I'm clinging to it for the the last little thread of faith I have, but that has been an anchor to my soul, what He has said to me. And I wanna just say to you, the, the stuff that God has whispered to you is more important and more vital than you can possibly imagine. It will be an anchor for our souls if we will let it. It makes what God has said to us extremely precious and valuable. So I want to ask you, how precious are the things that God has whispered to you? How precious to you those moments of encounter? Have you written them down? Have you meditated on them? Have you prayed them through? How often do you remind God of His promises that He made to you in those moments? I was spending time this week and I went through all, I went through 20 years of, of encounters and promises the Lord's made to me and I started, I started praying. I'm like, Lord, you, you said it. Lord, you said, I'm praying it. Do it again. Lord, come on, let's do this thing. You go, are you just being arrogant? No, 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 I'm not. I am taking what God said to me and I'm repeating it back to him. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. I like that. That's where I'm building my church. John 5, 1 John 5. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. 
even our faith. Who is it who overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, victory in your spiritual life will come by faith. Let me say it again. Victory in your spiritual life will come by faith. Not just by what you do. Victory comes when you believe what God has said to you. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. If you can't hear the Word of God, you won't believe what God has said to you. So when God speaks to you, it is massively important that you and I hear what God has said and imbibe that and speak it back and pray it back to God because that thing that God has given you will become an anchor for your soul, hold you strong and firm. It'll be an anchor through our disappointments and our confusions. Jesus has this crowd and they're all following him and they all love him because he's just healing their sick and he's feeding them and they, you know, it's just, it's a party around Jesus. And Jesus goes, you know, I, this crowd is not really full of devotion. They're full of, mm, so what have you done for me lately? Okay, Jesus, mm -hmm. Perform another miracle. Let me see. I'll, I'll give that a four. I like the one he did yesterday better. It's got a little bit of that attitude. And Jesus goes, hey guys, just gather around. Listen, yeah. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. This is a hard teaching. Who can handle it, right? On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm God and I'm going back to where I was before. If you, if you think that's hard to handle, what about this? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of the Spirit and life. By the way, the words God speaks to you will be full of the Spirit and life. From that time onwards, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter said, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life. Some people said, I don't understand you. I'm, I'm confused and I'm, I, I don't understand what's going on. But you have the words of life, so I'm sticking with you. This whole drink your blood thing, I have no clue what you're talking about. But you have the words of life, so I'm, I'm in. There's no one in this room who's beyond moments of disappointment and confusion. The remedy is this anchor. I'm disappointed. I'm confused. I don't understand what's going on. What holds you in those moments? What holds you in those moments is not acute theology. It's a whispered word from God. What, what helps me push past all this other condemnation is, is that I've heard his voice. I want his voice in my head. I need what he said to me to be uppermost in my mind. I need what God has whispered in the secret places to hold me when I'm in the public places. People say, well, you can't rely on experiences. What, what are you gonna retreat into? Doctrine? Of course you must rely on experiences. Of course you must have encounters with God. Of course you must hear the voice of God whispering to you. Of course we embed our lives in the Word of God. We drink it in, we meditate on it, we memorize it. We have the Word of God living in us 
powerfully. But on top of that written word of God, there needs to be the breathed word of God where God has whispered something that's unique to you, where he's taken the scriptures and it's jumped up and bitten you in the heart or some prophetic person has has spoken a word to you that resonates deeply in your spirit. We need those moments of encounters or the time in worship where you just reached in and you connected with God and there was a moment that was just beautiful. These are the things that we build our lives on as well as the true doctrine. So let me say, if your theology only requires faithfulness of you but does not drive you to faith, it's bad theology. Because without faith, you cannot please God. So it's not just faithfulness. I'm not anti-faithfulness, I'm for it. I love faithful people. We strive to be faithful and true. I wanna be as faithful as I can, but faithfulness is not enough. God requires faith. Hmm. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. So we push past disappointments and beyond confusion because I'm trusting in a Word that God gave me. It's the anchor that pushes me through. It's an anchor against threat and sorrow. Jesus says to them, listen, uh, Lazarus is dying. And this is fascinating. It says he heard that Lazarus was sick, so he... And because he loved them, he waited a few more days because he wanted them to see resurrection power and he couldn't do that if he walked in and healed them. So he, he, he loved them, so he waited. And he tells his disciples, Lazarus is, is asleep and they go, oh, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. He goes, no, okay, no, Lazarus is dead and I'm gonna raise him. And they go, <clears throat> just point of order, Jesus. Last time you were there, they picked up, they were gonna stone you. We got away, we were just thrilled to get away with our lives and you wanna walk back into the town that they just, you just left there and they just, they were in 100% agreement. You were gonna get stoned and, and probably us with you. And Jesus said, yep, we're gonna go wake Lazarus up. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. He said, yep, I'm gonna wake him up. And then Didymus, oh, sorry. I'm falling apart here. Come a while, come apart for a while and rest a while. Uh, Then Thomas, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go so that we can die. When there's threats and sorrows, the only thing that's held me is a word from God. That's the very, very cool thing. People go, oh, watch out, watch out. If you go there, this is gonna happen. But the Lord goes, no, come, I'll be with you. Go, yeah, I'm gonna go with the Lord. Because the word that he's whispered to me is what needs to define my life. Because the moment I stop moving, the moment I stop proceeding forward on what he said to me, I start to look at the circumstances and what other people are saying. And usually what other people are saying is in diametric opposition to what he's whispered for me to do. Let me just talk about the unceasing apostolic prayers and then we're almost done. Paul said there were a few prayers that he said, this is what I'm constantly praying for you. I'm always praying this for all God's people. This is an evergreen prayer. It's absolutely needed. It's vitally important for all saints at all times. This is the anchor. This is the rock the church is built on. 
And Paul says, I want you to join me in this unceasing prayer. I want you to cry out for wisdom. I want you to seek for revelation. I want you to find the Lord. I want you to knock and keep knocking until the doors open. I want you to ask and keep asking until you receive the answer. I want you to seek and keep seeking until you find. I want you to draw yourself near to God. I want you to turn your life over to Him. I want you to submit yourself to Him. I want you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I want you to be engaged. I want you to be pursuing God. I want you to understand that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I'm wanting you to press forward and to constantly be praying this prayer. And so Paul prays us. Let's go to Ephesians 1. I have not stopped giving thanks to God for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Paul says, this is my constant prayer for you. I'm asking God to give you a spirit of revelation and wisdom so that you can know God better. I want you to have revelation, Paul says. You absolutely need revelation because in the natural mind of man, you could never grasp the things that God has done for you. There is no way you can get your mind around because no eye has seen or ear has heard or mind can see what God has prepared for those who love Him, but God has revealed this to us by His Spirit. So Paul said, I keep praying for you that God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. Well, I'm not so sure we should have revelation. I'm telling you, this was the biggest apostolic prayer, the unceasing apostolic prayer over the whole church. I'm praying that you get revelation, Paul said. Well, I'm not so sure we should have revelation. Read your Bible. Just come with me to Colossians 1. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy, may please Him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and you grow in the knowledge of God. Paul says, listen, guys, guys, I want you to know God, but in order to know God, you need wisdom and understanding. You need a spirit of revelation. You need what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. And I keep praying for you. I will not stop this prayer. You need understanding and wisdom that the Spirit will give you. So friends, I just wanna say, this is my prayer. I'm, I'm praying it for you. I pray that you have encounters. I pray that when you read the Word of God, it jumps up and bites you in the heart. I pray that many, many, many seasons in worship in this, in this church, you have an encounter with the Spirit of God and He whispers something into your ear that transforms your life. I pray that there'd be prophetic encounters and people read your mail and call out the destiny of God over your life. I pray that when you get into communion with other believers and just sitting around there, that the Holy Spirit would use them many, many times to just boom, boom, boom in your heart, exactly what you need. Because friends, there is like this anchor and it's anchored to the rock of ages and it's an unbreakable cable anchored in the rock of ages and it comes and the other end is given to you. And whether you tie that up into your life, how strong you make that bond is, is how powerful an anchor that's gonna be in your life. And I watch sometimes God speaks to people and they go, yeah, it wasn't bad. I go, whoa, no, no, shh, grab hold of that word. Tie it, anchor, wrap it around your arm, tie it around your waist. This is God spoke this to me. Write it down, meditate on it, pray it through. I spent this week, and did I say this in this meeting? I spent this week just going through all the promises, going, God, 
This is what we said. You told me. I'm not making this up. You told me. I'm hanging on. I got an anchor. Because Jesus said, this is where I built my church. On a revelation. On a, on a disciple who believed the revelation that they heard. That's where the kingdom starts. That's, that's the power right there. And, the, and there's nothing that all of hell can do to stop that anchor. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. So you go, Greg, sign me up. I want revelation in my life. I want the Spirit of God to speak to me. How do I do that? I'll give you six ways. There's nothing new here. This feels like when I was six years old. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you will grow. 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 I want revelation. Well, pray. Pray. Say, Lord, give me revelation. Paul said, this is my constant prayer. I cannot stop praying this prayer, Paul said. I keep asking God give you a spirit of revelation. I want you to say, if, you, if you're hungry, if, if something's stirring in your heart this morning, go, Lord, I really would like to hear from you. I'd like your voice. I'd like to hang that. I'd like to wrap it around me. I'd like to be anchored in this. Then you go after it in prayer. Go seek the Lord. God, Lord, I need wisdom and revelation. In fact, Proverbs 2, it says, if you cry aloud, and if you look for it as for treasure, and you seek for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord, and you'll find the knowledge of God. Cry aloud, God, give me revelation. Speak to me, Lord. Prayer is a big deal. Second one is the Scriptures. Just read it, meditate on it. Let the word of God dwell in you richly and you'll find that it just settled in your heart and the scriptures become one of those internal voices that speak to you. Worship and thanksgiving. Don't get into a worship thing and go, well, I dare you to bless me. Throw yourself in with abandon. God, I'm here. Forget the people around you. Focus on the Lord. Just, Lord, this is you and me. I'm just here to bless you and honor you and thank you. Because in moments of worship like that, I don't care what other people have thought, but I've met my king in moments of worship like that. I've had encounters with God that lasted hours. I've wept through things. I've had God meet with me. I've had God heal my heart. I've had supernatural healings in moments of worship. And you cannot tell me that it doesn't work. It does so I get to a time of worship, I'm, I'm wide open, throttle, a wide open heart going, God, I'm here to meet with you. The prophetic flow and the spiritual gifts. Go to people where there's prophetic. Go to meetings where it's flowing. Well, I really want God to speak to me. Well, why don't you show up in the meetings where he's speaking? community with the body of Christ. I'm telling you, the Lord wants to use people around you. And there's nothing like, there's something profoundly beautiful, not just in receiving, but being used by the Holy Spirit to minister to somebody else. There's beauty in community. I want God to speak to me, but you never show up. That's where revelation happens. Lastly, give voice to your passion for God. Let me just say this. We're We're a quiet people. Many times I'm preaching, I go, like, hello? Is there anybody out there? 
Sometimes we need to give voice. Sometimes you need to be a little loud in worship. Sometimes you need to say amen or ouch or something in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> ouch. Come on. But I tell you, because I tell you something. If I go, hey, let's seek God, and about 25 people go, yeah, let's go for it. Suddenly there's, the room is galvanized. Not because of what I said, but because of what you said. Give voice to it. Join us. Let's be a little bit more vocal. Let's be a little bit more forward, a little more front-footed on, yeah, I'm going after God. I don't care who knows it. I'm all in. Boots and all. I'm, I'm going after God. I don't care who, cares. I don't care who, who, who knows it. I'm after God. I'm wide open. God. And I'm looking for other people who are in the same boat. You're going, I'm with you, heart and soul. Let's go do this thing. Amen. Thank you. I just want to say to you, this series has not been about academic exercises. This is about the people who've been up here ministering, just going, look, I, I, I don't know everything, but I know this thing. This, let me break off a piece of my heart. Let me, let me tell you what really works for me. This really works for me. It'll really work for you. But this requires a little bit of effort from you and from me. Requires you to seek a little. Requires you to ask a little. Requires you to knock on some doors that are still closed to you. But if you do, it'll be an anchor for your soul. And no one will be able to slow you down. Let's pray together. Lord, how beautiful you are, we just want to say thank you. You're beautiful beyond description, Jesus. And we want to say thank you, Lord, for all the beauty that you've brought into our life and all the freedom that's come because we dare to say yes to you. And Lord, right now, we want to say yes again. Lord, it is the desire of our hearts that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. So here we are together, Lord, as a, as a church, crying aloud. Lord, speak to me. Whisper to me. Share with me your heart, Lord. Because your word is precious beyond my ability to say. And so, Lord, for every single person in this room who right now has a genuine hunger, I'm asking Holy Spirit that you would meet with him this very week with a supernatural encounter and the word of our King, which can transform lives. I release transformation. I release supernatural breakthroughs. I release, Lord, the power of your word into people's lives because your word, Lord, is like a war club that destroys the enemy. Bring life and hope back into every situation. In Jesus' name.